Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, if you're using the black Bibles uh, that are provided, that can be found on page 981. We're continuing our series on our our identity in Christ. Uh, Again, we've been reminding ourselves that our, our identity needs to be rooted in our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, not in um, any worldly thing. Uh, the world has all kinds of uh, ways that they, uh, areas that they find their identity in, but ours needs to be rooted in Christ. And so uh, it's, been a, it's been a real joy to go through that and consider that with you. And today we want to look at another important um, aspect of our identities, another um, picture that the Bible gives of who we are in Christ, who we are as Christians. And so for that, we look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to uh, consider verses 17 through um, verse 1 of chapter 4. So Philippians three seventeen, and if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> please follow along as I read. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, isn't, do you have any guess on what, uh, from that passage, what, we, uh, what aspect of our identity we see there? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Of course, if, if you have your, the bulletin, you probably see. We're citizens of heaven, right? As Christians, we are citizens of heaven. And think about identity. Think about what an important aspect of a person's identity is how that is related to their citizenship, right? Your citizenship often shapes your values, uh, your allegiances, your sense of belonging, and <clears throat> where your security lies. This is especially, as I was just thinking about um, earthly citizenship, all the things I just said that are tied to citizenship, the values and belonging and security, I think that's especially noticeable when you're living in a foreign land, Right? Some of you have studied abroad or, or traveled overseas, and so you know what it's like to live in a land that is not your, your home. Even while living in another country, then your American citizenship impacts you. Right, How you dress, the, your, your customs, your, your values, again, your sense of belonging and security are, are tied to the fact that you're a citizen of the U.S. Right, If something 
starts to go terribly wrong where you are, you're going to be like, <laughs> uh, let me find an embassy, let me get back to the U.S. as fast as I can, right? Well, that's important for us to think about because um, even though we live in a foreign land, our identity is rooted in our citizenship and that's important for us to remember because God's word tells us that we are citizens of heaven and that we are strangers and aliens in this world. And so it's appropriate that, that Paul brings this up uh, to the, in the book of Philippians because Philippi was a, 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 a Roman colony. And so though they didn't live in Italy, they were considered Roman citizens. So they knew what it was like to live in a different land but yet have their citizenship somewhere else. And so this would have been very um, understandable and relatable for them. So as we seek to understand our identity in Christ, we want to focus this morning on the fact that Christians are citizens of heaven. And so obviously the key verse to that is verse 20. Look at it again, please. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Notice that's in the present tense. In other words, this is a present reality for Christians. Yes, when we think of heaven, it's a place where Christians will go in the future. But what the Bible is saying is we are already citizens of heaven now. Every Christian is presently a citizen of heaven. And once again, I hope you see this flows out of our union with Christ. Where is Jesus right now? The Lord Jesus is risen, glorified, exalted. He's, he's in heaven, right? He's reigning from the Father's right hand. And Ephesians 2 says that we too then, because of our union with Christ, we are already seated with Christ in heaven spiritually. A, a passage to jot down, I'll, I'll read it for you right now, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Of course, we're familiar with Ephesians 2, right? The first three verses talk about how by nature we're dead in our trespasses and sins and, and uh, following the course of this world and, and under the power of the prince of the air. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There's that union with Christ that we've talked about in previous weeks, that regeneration but through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit unites us to Christ. Back to verse 5. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So again, I know there's a mystery to this, but as Christians we are already citizens of heaven. We are united with Christ and we're already seated with him in the heavenly places. So we're already positionally there. And again, just want to emphasize, this is a present reality. We are citizens of heaven. And so what does that mean? That means that this fallen world is no longer our home. This fallen world is no longer our home. God has graciously delivered us from the domain of darkness, Colossians 1 says, by the precious blood of Christ. Right? And so we've been united to Christ and we've been made members of his kingdom. And so that's kind of a similar thought when we think about being citizens of heaven. We're citizens of Christ's kingdom, of his heavenly kingdom. 
which will one day also be a physical kingdom, right? So yes, we still live in this fallen world, but we, no, we are no longer of this fallen world. That's why, again, the Bible calls us strangers and exiles in this world. We live here now, but we don't belong here. It's not our home. We belong to Christ, and we belong to his kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's what this passage is teaching. And that reality, then, should impact our lives. Right? The fact that we are citizens of heaven, the fact that we no longer belong to this fallen world... That should make a tangible difference in our lives now because it's a reality now. And I want to list a few specific ways here in just a moment, uh, a few tangible ways that that should make a difference. But notice first the context here. Notice that Paul is stating this reality in the context of warning the Philippians about enemies of the cross. Right? So we started in verse 17 and that's, Let's, let's look at that again. First, he encourages them to follow godly examples rather than being negatively influenced by these enemies of the cross. Verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Right? So follow godly examples. Why? Verse 18, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's a lot of, there's danger out there. There's negative influences out there, he's saying. And so I want you to fix your eyes on godly examples. Don't be influenced negatively by these enemies of the cross. And then he goes on to describe them. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So you see, it's in that context that he's, he's stating this reality of the Christian. We are citizens of heaven. And so we shouldn't be influenced by these enemies of the cross. And again, who are these people? Well, perhaps these enemies of the cross are people who are claiming to be believers. They obviously are people who are somehow in proximity with the church and trying to, trying to influence the church. But whoever they are, again, the, it's clear Paul is very concerned. He's deeply concerned that they are going to have a destructive influence on the believers there. It's something Paul's warned them about before when he was there starting the church preaching the gospel. And now he says, I'm warning you, this this danger is so real, it's so present. I'm warning you now, even with tears through this letter about these enemies of the cross. What is it about them that's so destructive and negatively influencing Well, notice it says, these enemies of the cross deliberately indulge in sin, thereby denying all that the cross of Christ stands for, right? They've spurned the implications of Christ crucified for their daily living. You know, Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him daily take up his cross and and follow me, right? Let him deny himself and daily take up his cross and follow me. Well, these enemies of the cross, they're doing right the opposite, They're not denying themselves at all. They're not willing to die to self or to live for the risen and exalted Lord Jesus. No, they're just, they're still living for their sinful pleasures. And so they're living for the the things of this fallen world. 
And that's why they provide such a stark contrast of, of what is true of believers and what should be then impacting how believers live. These enemies of the cross provide this contrast to how believers should live as citizens of heaven. The enemies of the cross are still in bondage to this fallen world. While believers have been set free, have been delivered, and are now citizens of heaven. So let me share with you, I've been talking about how this this truth should impact us, right? Well, let me share with you three ways in this message, and, and I'll go through these very quickly. But three ways that our citizenship in Christ's heavenly kingdom should impact our daily lives. Okay, so if you're taking notes, it'll be, it'll be very simple. I'm going to start each one with, because I am a citizen of heaven, number one, my focus is on pleasing Christ. Because I am a citizen of heaven, my focus is on pleasing Christ. Again, let's learn from the contrast here in verse 19, when it, where it describes the enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So you see the difference? The enemies have, have their minds set on earthly things. In other words, because what does that mean? What is mind set on earthly things? It means their whole, the whole orientation of their life is centered on this fallen world's values and systems and pleasures. And, and really that makes sense, right? Since they're unbelievers, like I said, they're still in bondage to this fallen world. They're still in bondage to sin and Satan. And so, yes, naturally, I guess you'd say, their, their values and pursuits are going to be shaped by this fallen world, which is why they're standing in opposition to Christ and his kingdom. Right? Again, this is just another important reminder that this fallen world is no friend of, of Christ. Right? For a time now, God is allowing Satan, as the prince of the power of this air, to... to um, what would you say, kind of to rule this world, this fallen world. To orchestrate this fallen world and, and to, to uh, uh, use the, the, the philosophies and the values and the temptations to, to orchestrate all of that to oppose the cause of Christ. But praise God, as Christians, we have been delivered from that we're no longer duped. We're no longer like, uh, like the, the animals following the, the Pied Piper off a cliff. We've been delivered from bondage to this fallen world. And so really what I think here in Philippians 3 is implied by contrasting it with the enemies of the cross. What's implied here is stated explicitly in Colossians chapter 3. So that's a parallel passage you want to be aware of. Colossians chapter 3 Uh, specifically verses 1 through 3. Let me read that for you. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, and the Greek construction there really means since, since then you've been raised with Christ, there's that union with Christ, right? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? Why? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden now with Christ in God. 
So you see how it all flows out of what God has done in our lives through the gospel. Because we belong to Christ and his kingdom, because our old self that did live in bondage to this world has, has been crucified with Christ and we've been raised as a new creation like we considered a few weeks ago. Because of all that, our lives now should be oriented toward Christ and his kingdom. You see how that's a direct contrast to what it says about the enemies here in, in Philippians 3? It says, their mind is set on earthly things. In Colossians 3, it says, set your minds on things that are above. In other words, orient your whole life toward Christ and his kingdom, not toward what this world says is, is important and valuable. And so that's what Paul is exhorting the Philippians here to do. Don't be like the enemies of the cross whose, whose God is their belly. No, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ now. He's your Lord, not your sinful desires. And so as a Christian today, please understand, you belong to Christ and his kingdom. And so your life should be oriented toward Christ. You, you should say along with me today, by God's grace, my focus is going to be on Christ I want to know Christ. I want to make him known. I want to enjoy Christ. I want to bring Christ glory. That's what my life is about. And yes, I have to live down here in this world, and I have to do things. I have to work and provide, and and that's, that's fine. I can do all that by God's grace for the glory of God. As I, as I have that focus and as I seek to uh, do this in, in communion with him and dependence on him and, and in pointing others toward him. So as Christians, we, we should, our lives should be markedly different than what he describes the enemies of the cross here. Our stomach should no longer be our God, right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see that Jesus is Lord. In other words, I no longer live to please my sinful desires like the world does. Rather, I'm now living by God's enabling to please Christ. Now everything I do is with the focus of pleasing God. How I raise my kids, the way I treat my wife, how I carry out my job is done for the glory of God. By God's grace, I now seek to have my life shaped by the values of Christ, of God's word, of God's kingdom, not of the values of this world. And that's an important difference, isn't it? By God's grace, I seek to have my life shaped by the values of the kingdom of God rather than shaped by this fallen world. And so instead of selfishness, I seek to die to self by putting others' needs above my own. Instead of worshiping the idol of comfort, I accept suffering for the sake of Christ. Instead of overindulging in entertainment, I enjoy God's gifts in moderation and find my ultimate rest in spending time with Him. Instead of storing up treasures on earth that will not last, I will store up treasures in heaven by investing resources into building the kingdom of God. Our lives should be different because of the reality of who we are in Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We no longer belong to this world. Again, it makes sense from an earthly standpoint why unbelievers are living for this world. 
Because, like I said, they're still in bondage, and, and that's all they have. That's all they have to look forward to. That's, that's all they see and know. That's where their hope is. But we are different. By God's grace, we seek to be in the world, but not of the world. Our focus is on pleasing Christ. Our ultimate allegiance belongs to Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. We're going to strive to be good, law-abiding citizens of the state, because that brings glory to God. But if those laws ever go against God's word, then we must obey God rather than men. Again, we must live as people who are in the world, but not of the world. Not shaped by the values of this world. And that means, and you guys know this every day, right? That means every day we're swimming upstream. Because the world has its philosophy and values and, and paths that it just is kind of ushering you down. But as a Christian, you have to say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going this direction because of the difference Christ has made in my life. I'm a new creation. And I'm a member of, of his family, of his kingdom. And so we need God's daily grace for that. Because I know it's not easy. But again, remember, this flows out of our union with Christ. We are new creations. Our old self has died. We have been raised with Christ. We have a new heart. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And so by God's enabling, we can live this way. We can live with a focus on pleasing Christ. So that's the first um, tangible difference this reality should make. Second one, because I am a citizen of heaven, not only is my focus on pleasing Christ, but number two, my longing is the return of Christ. My longing is the return of Christ. What am I dreaming about? What am I hoping for? What am I, what am I longing for? It's Christ's return. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, that's where he is. We see that in Acts 1, after, the, after he's been raised from the dead and he spent 40 days teaching his disciples, he was ascended up into heaven. And remember, they're looking, and there he goes. And angels say, hey, he's going to come back the same way. We are awaiting the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches this is not a stoic waiting. This is, this is certainly not an indifferent waiting. Right? We're to be actively fellowshipping with him, serving him. But we're to be longing for him. We're to be expecting him. Oh, Jesus, we want you to come. Come quickly. We want to be with you. We, don't, we want to no longer look through a glass dimly. We want to see you in, in, in your, the totality of your glory, with, with fully glorified, redeemed eyes, we want to see you. With pure hearts, we want to see you. So we're longing for the return of Christ. We should be not just waiting, but expectantly waiting and longing. 2 Timothy 4.8 calls it loving his appearing. That's when Paul's about ready to die, and he says... You know, there's, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness and for all who have loved his appearing. 
We are eagerly waiting, longing for the return of Christ. Why? Because we love Him and we want to be with Him. He is our Lord and Savior. We love Him because He has first loved us and gave Himself up for us. And so, yes, we want to be with Him. We want to fall at His feet in gratitude. We want to praise Him, like I said, with with pure hearts. No longer this struggle between the spirit and the flesh, but just praise Him with the totality of our being. What a day that will be, right? To be able to do that, to be able to embrace him and worship him in spirit and in truth, purely. To fall at his feet, to thank him for all that he's done for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving the glories of heaven to come to this fallen world and take on human nature and live and die in my place. Thank you for suffering and dying on the cross, for being forsaken by your Father so that I could be forgiven and reconciled to God and have him as my heavenly Father. Thank you for, because of that, uh, me being adopted into your family and you sharing your inheritance, you, you crediting me with your righteousness. Thank you for rising again to set me free from the penalty and ruling power of sin. Thank you for sending your Spirit to, to give me new life and, and to to indwell me so that I can know you and enjoy this relationship with you already now. Thank you for never leaving me, Jesus. Thank you for being that faithful, that high priest, that sympathetic high priest. All the times you, you forgave me, all the times you were praying for me, all the times you were guiding me and, and, and drawing me near when I had foolishly wandered away. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. We have... We want to see him. We want to see him and be with him. As Christians, our ultimate joy is to be found in Christ, in knowing him and in pleasing him. And if, if we were studying Philippians, we would have known that just a few verses before this, Paul had said, that is a lifelong pursuit, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come back, but while we're waiting, we get to know him now in increasing ways. And, and Paul is saying, I've considered everything else rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm pursuing it, and I know I haven't obtained it, but I'm going to keep pressing on by, by his grace to know him more. And so that should mark us because of who we are in Christ, that we're citizens of heaven. And I know we get distracted because of our remaining sin. And I know we get distracted because of the siren calls of this world. But praise God that his mercies are new every day. Our loving Father faithfully (laughs) forgives us, gets us back on track, reminds us who we are in Christ, and helps us draw close to him and walk in, in the power of the Spirit as strangers in this world. And again, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know, as I, as I studied this and thought about the future that awaits us and thought about seeing Jesus, that we already have his spirit. We already have that down payment. And that means we have God's power in us to flee temptations and to pursue Christ. We already enjoy reconciliation with God. We already enjoy a real relationship with our Lord Jesus. And that makes us long to, for his return. Not only that, but God has given us, again, just thinking about how are we going to do this, right? How can we do this? God has given us the resources of who we are in Christ. He's given us 
other resources, habits of grace like the word, prayer, singing, the gatherings of the church, all to help cultivate our love for Christ, all to help grow us and live this truth out that we are strangers here. He gives us those, again, means of grace, habits of grace to help us be in the world but not of the world. And so may we take full advantage of those. So, again, so far we've seen, because I'm a citizen of heaven, my focus is on pleasing Christ. My longing is the return of Christ. Thirdly and finally, I want to share with you today, because I'm a citizen of heaven, my hope is a glorious future with Christ. My hope is a glorious future with Christ. Again, I'll read verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is, 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is a reality. This this is a promise. Because of who we are in Christ, because we are a citizen of heaven, our hope is is a glorious future with Christ. And again, when I say hope, I'm not using it like the world says hope. Like, oh, you know, this is something I would like, but I'm not real certain that it's going to take place, right? You know, like, man, I hope next winter is another wet winter like we had, like God blessed us with this year. Yeah, we long for that, but we have no certainty that's going to happen, right? No, this, the way the Bible uses the term hope is a certainty. It's a certainty of that which has been promised but has not yet been experienced. So it's, it's rooted in the promises of God, and God doesn't lie. And so he has said, this is what your future entails, and one day you'll get to experience that. That's our hope. And God, through his word, has promised a glorious future to all Christians, to all followers of Christ. And verse 21 reminds us of that, that when Jesus returns, we will be glorified. If we've died, our souls will have already been with, with Jesus in heaven, and they will come back with him, and then our bodies will be raised from the dead, glorified, perfect bodies, united with our souls. If we're still alive, if Christ returns during our lifetimes, then we'll be instantly transformed, body and soul. Either way, <laughs> we're going to be with him forever in glorified bodies and souls. No more sin No more weakness of any kind. No more uh, sickness. No more death. No more giving in to temptations. We'll get to be with him forever. And as Romans 8 reminds us, the the Christ's return and the resurrection of of believers, that's that's just the the kickstart to Christ making all things new. Bringing in the new heavens and the new earth. And so at his return, the Lord Jesus is going to eradicate all sin, create the new heaven, or bring in the new heavens and new earth. And so that's what our future is. We're going to live with Jesus in a perfect place, in perfect bodies and souls (laughs) forever. That's That's our glorious future. And it's certain, why? Because of the finished work of Christ, because of the power of Christ. Like this reminds us. That's what he's going to do. 
He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christ has already won the victory. Because he, he uh, lived, died, rose again, he defeated sin and death. And remember what the resurrected Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so by that power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, he will raise us, he will restore all things. Jesus has already powerfully defeated sin, death, and Satan through his death and resurrection. And Ephesians 1 says that God has powerfully raised him and exalted him far above all other rule, authority, dominion, and power. He's at the highest place. And so... That's another reality that we need to remember. All things have been put in subjection to Christ already. Though Hebrews 2 is honest about it, right? Hebrews 2 says, it doesn't seem like it right now, does it? When we look around in this fallen world, it doesn't seem like all things have been put in subjection to him because we still presently deal with with sin and evil. And so this is challenging for us as we seek to live this out. Like I said, as we seek to be in the world but not of the world. As we seek to be strangers in this this fallen world that is opposed to Christ. It's a challenge. Because everything that we deal with every day from the world is is anti-Christ. The image of God is distorted. The the, the word of God is maligned. The commands of God are, are, are are broken. And, and the Son of God, the Savior that God has sent, is rejected. But we have the promises of God. We have the truth of God. That Christ has won the victory. That he is making all things new, even now through the gospel. And that he is coming again to once and for all fix everything that sin has broken. That's our, the anchor for our hope is the promises of God. And as we await his return, like the saints of old, like we heard from Hebrews 11, we walk by faith and not by sight. We hold on to things in this world loosely. Why? Because we're looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Again, citizens look to their country for security. Unbelievers look to this world for security, right? Oh, you know, maybe our education system can fix everything, or, or maybe our government leaders can fix everything, or, well, maybe I just need to depend on myself and store up lots of riches and, and trust in my own abilities, to, and then I can be secure. That's, none of that is a sure foundation, right? That's all sand. On Christ, he's the solid rock that we stand. Our security is in Christ. Our our hope and security is in the finished work of Christ. What a joy, what peace that brings, loved ones, right? That our security is not found in ourselves, that our security is not found in this fallen world, that our security is found in Christ, in the power, promises, and finished work of Christ. So may that encourage you today. And if you're here without Christ, I pray that, that God is, is speaking to you through his word and that you'll see um, that you need a hope. 
You need, you need a belonging. That by nature you belong to this fallen world, but, but belonging to this fallen world leads you down the path of destruction. That's what he says here in verse 19, doesn't he? About the enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, the Bible says. But in Christ, through faith in Christ, he will deliver you out of this world. He will place you in his kingdom. You'll become a citizen of heaven, and then you'll have a sure hope. And you'll have that peace and security of knowing that you belong to Christ and that he's coming back for you. So may you turn from your sins and trust in him if you've not done that today. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, uh, believers, um, the Lord's Supper is a great time for us to remember the finished work of Christ, and it's also a time for us to examine our lives and confess sin. And, and you know, in light of the, this truth today, in light of the message, maybe um, God is showing you areas that you're, you need to repent of, areas that you're of this world that you're clinging to. Maybe uh, you're, you're letting yourself be shaped too much by the values of this world. Maybe your focus has, has drifted. It's no longer on pleasing Christ and knowing him and enjoying him. Maybe your focus has shifted into the, the same thing that the world does, the rat race of, of selfishness and indulgence. And, and so this is a, an excellent time to confess that, repent of that, be reminded of God's forgiveness for you in Christ. And so I just invite you now to, uh, uh, as the men come forward and, and hand out, if I could have the men come forward, please. As the men come forward and prepare to pass it out, pass out the, the bread and the cup, use this time to examine and to uh, confess of any sin and, to, and use it to be reminded of, of God's love for you. Be reminded of the reality of who you are in Christ. That you're forgiven. That you're united to him. That you're a child of God. And that you're a citizen of heaven. If you don't know Christ today as your Savior, please don't take um, the bread and the cup. We're not going to embarrass you. But um, the Bible is clear that this is for believers only. And so again, we, we invite you to, um, in, by faith, embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if we can be of any help uh, to you with that, then please talk to, talk to me, talk to any of the men up here, or after the service, we'd love to help you with that.